Okay, quick pause while I take off my thermal vest. The so Watch. The Watch is going to be a TV show? Yeah, well, we knew that. I didn't. Well, they I kind of... They announced it at the memorial. You were there. But they, it was literally a hint. Oh, yeah, there was a lot. Yeah. There was a lot that day. <laughs> it was very... Yeah, it was like a tiny hint in the middle of a bunch of announcements because I think that came right after they said that The We Free Men is going to be a movie. That's it. Gonna, that's what I was remembering, yeah. And The We Free Men, the Henson Company is going to basically do the Fiegel, so I'm really excited for it. Cool. So, like, the experts at Call My of favorite. the Monsters. I'm, I'm a bit more obsessed with how they work because you haven't seen The Dark Crystal, have you? I have not. They've just brought out, like, a TV series based on the mm. film. It's like a prequel series. But it's, it is all pu- proper puppetry. There's not, not CGI. Obviously, mm. there's like CGI backgrounds and stuff. And it's so good and it's so clever. And we watched all the making of stuff. And my mum, when I was little, had one of these dark crystal, uh, like a coffee table book kind of things. Big yeah. one with all the illustrations. And I had no idea what dark crystal was. So I thought I'd stumbled upon some fucking arcane tome. Oh, I just mean, full of bullshit. And the- like, oh, it was like, I loved it. I had a great time with that book. I've never watched the movie. <laughs> The movie terrified me as a child to the mm. point where I was really, really scared to watch the show. But oh, no. Forced... The Skeksis are terrifying. What they are they? Make, they're the villains and they're evil and they make this weird mm, noise. Well, that is. And I, yeah, they terrify me. I was so scared of them as a kid. And they are, they're still really scary in the TV series. Okay. But... Scary as in they're mainly scary because you've got the nostalgia of scare, or will I be scared if I watch this? I don't think you will be. You will be uncomfortable. I don't think you'll be scared. Okay. Because the scariness partly comes from nostalgia, but also they are written to be horrifying. Yeah. Is it still nostalgia if it's negative? Just calling up a, evoking a past emotion. Yeah, nostalgia doesn't have anything in it that specifically means positive, does it? No. It's not like. No. Um, Mm. Oh, what's the one used as the opposite of phobia? Philia. Philia. Mm. Yeah, it's not nosphilia. Alger. Alger. What else is alger? Algae. No. Pond scum? No. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting further. We're getting further away. We're getting way off what we were fucking talking about. So the what? watch of the TV show. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you've probably read more about this than I have because basically the first I heard of it with a reddit thread where everyone was like what the fuck is this casting yeah i've read about it on facebook and twitter where everyone's been like what the fuck is this casting Mm -hmm. but from two very different directions and i can completely see the point of one direction and not at all see the point of the other one okay because so at the time we're recording this they haven't i don't think they've announced the full cast but they've announced quite a lot yeah there's a late november reference um so they've announced, mo- I think they've announced most of the major characters. Yeah, I'll, I'll call up the list. Um, so this includes we have a femme veterinary, which honestly I'm into. Yes, I like, that's fine. That's a good idea. Um, the, well, the, there's the two anti this these casting announcements, yeah. schools of thoughts. The one that's like, the way they've done this, they're obviously massively changing the story from the watch books. And this is really dull for our listeners who are reading for the first time and not got to the watch yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that school of thought, I'm kind of with you. I wish they would just straight up do all the stories as they happen in the book series. But with knowing this early, I can emotionally disconnect and accept that this is a TV series very loosely based on the books and in its own thing, it'll be quite good. So I don't really... But I can see why people are annoyed in that sense because there's things like Carrot's going to be the new guy in town and Angle is showing him round rather than the way around it is in the books and things like that. Right. 
the point of view you can't see is people getting upset about the inclusivity, I'm guessing. Yeah, people who are complaining that there are people of colour who've been cast. Mm -hmm. uh, They've made um, one of the characters non-binary, which actually, from the context of the books, really works, and I'm really excited Mm. about how they do that. Yeah, see, I think that's a smart update rather than a... Yeah. Why did you bother with that? However, they made Sybil thin, which... Yeah, I couldn't quite get the... Um, the read on whether this was meant to be like a past version of her. Yeah, I don't know because I think the timelines are all weird compared to how they go in the books because yeah. in this Sybil is a young, thin vigilante. Right. Like, like if I see an updated cast list with a middle-aged Sybil, then... Yeah. <laughs> but even younger, she's not meant to be thin and... We don't get a lot of not thin representation on screens who are like also aggressively competent. And I think the one where you could describe Sybil is aggressively competent. Yeah, I mean, um, also Richard Dormer for Vimes, right? Yeah, I think so. How old is he? Like, he's not young. Is he's he? not young. I'd say he's in his 40s. Right. And the woman playing so if, Sybil is in her 20s. Right, so if they just do that again, then... Fuck them forever. I'm just sick. I'm just sick of that. I'm just sick of like no comment on the fact that literally every leading lady is in her twenties and every leading man is forty and above. Like, it's... yeah. On the on the one hand, like from a very feminist point of view, uh, I hate it. As someone in her twenties attracted to old blokes, like I'm into it. But I like, yeah. No, I completely see your point, and that does mm. really annoy me as well. Yeah, but also you're into older women, and you are being. Oh yeah, you're being denied that. Yeah, I want attractive older women. But yeah. I feel very precious about Pratchett stuff. Yeah, I have to kind of sit there and remind myself these books will always exist and I will always be able to go back and reread these books that I really love. Yeah. And the TV series is going to be a... If this TV series was being announced, I think I said to you when we were talking, if this was just a new TV series being announced, had nothing to do with Discworld, I'd be so hyped for it Mm. because it sounds like a really good TV series. Yeah, it does sound great, yeah. There's a non-binary dwarf, there's vigilantes. That's it. And you're quite right to say, like, the books aren't going anywhere just because of this. Like, even if I don't like it, so fucking what? Just let people enjoy things, Francine. And that there's just that little part but, of your brain that you hate that goes, but this is my thing and I like it how it is. Oh, no. <laughs> it's really fun at the moment because the BBC has the new His Dark Materials TV series on and it has the mm. new War of the Worlds t- TV series on. Oh, um, I should really get a TV licence. Oh, yes. Uh, I only pay it because I really like a lot of the stuff the BBC makes. What's this Brickbox thing we were promised? Uh, I think it's coming out early next year. Mm. I know we're getting Disney Plus in March. <sighs> sorry, I follow the TV news. But no, if, no, that was, yeah. sorry, that was a... Uh, as in, I know I'm going to end up paying for that. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll find it quite interesting. So I... I haven't read all of the His Dark Materials books yet, but I have read the first one and I'm actually in the process of rereading the first one because... I'm that was a while it. ago. Yeah. yeah, and I'm listening to quite a good podcast about it. Hmm. Um, Her Dark Materials. How do you recommend? Feminist slant? Bit of a feminist slant. I've only listened to the first couple of episodes so far. They're doing episodes on the TV series as well, but they've got spoilers for all the books, so I haven't listened to those yet. Cool. That. Fucking love it. I haven't read the new one of the prequel trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I'm... I've got like five half-finished books on my Kindle right now. <laughs> yeah, but so I'm finding it quite interesting because we watch one episode. We we on, because they both come out on a Sunday night, so we watch an episode of His Dark Materials. Then sure. we watch an episode of War of the Worlds. Yeah, and I've recently reread His Dark Materials, and Ben is obsessed with War of the Worlds and knows the plot really well. 
Interesting. So we sit there for a whole episode of his dark materials of me saying, oh, they did that thing. Oh, they did. And it's a really good adaptation. It's yeah. really rushed. Like the first couple of episodes speed through the stuff that happens in the books. But oh. we've hit episode three and it's kind of slowing down and breathing out. And mm. and then we watch an episode of Four of the Worlds, which I'm really enjoying. And mm. Ben hates because he's like, why have they done that, though? That's not how it was in the thing, or in, the, in the show and the musical and in the book and in the opera. But I haven't listened to that in forever and I haven't read the book in forever. Yeah. And I don't think they're really sticking to either that closely. So I'm just enjoying this as quite a good TV show. That, oh, it's got that guy that was in Once Upon a Time and that other thing, Trainspotting. But yeah, it's quite fun how differently you watch things if you've read the source, if, if you've got a relationship to the source mm. material. And I'm, I've gotten better and better at accepting that this will be different from the source material yeah. and this is why and trying to appreciate something because they're such different mediums. Mm. And if I thought about how I'd, say, adapt a bunch of books, I'd do it very differently from someone else. Yeah. Right, I'm going to get us a coffee and then we should do a podcast or something, right? You want to make a podcast? Yeah. All let's right. make a podcast. Coffee first, though. And welcome to The Truth Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we're reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discord series in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen-Young. And I'm Francine Carroll. And this is part two of our little chat about Equal Rights, the third book in the Discord series. Yes. And Equal Rights is the first, we could say in the, the canon disc world, is that fair? Yeah, I think we're beyond introducing the disc world and now we're actually on to yeah. the canon of... yeah. So part two that we're discussing is page 92 to page 195 in the Corby paperback edition. Yeah. Uh, so it starts with, uh, and so it was, that a week later, Granny locked the cottage door and hung the key on its nail in the privy. Which is a lovely place to start. Because we're setting off uh, to the university, going to Hogwarts in it. <laughs> and it ends with me being in and capable of turning pages. Because of all the post-it notes. There are so many post-it notes. It ends with, you won't have to bother with lessons. You can go all over the place. No one will notice you. You'll be invisible, really. And, well, you can really clean up. But, of course, after all that laughing, you won't be interested, will you? And then three little Patronising granny. <laughs> say granny. Uh, Francine, do you want to talk about what happened previously on Equal Rights? Yes. Previously on Equal Rights... A wizard on his last legs climbs the ram tops to bequeath his staff to the seventh son of a seventh son, but nobody listens to the midwife and a bouncing baby girl is given a new destiny. Said child spends seven uneventful years in a village watched over by a violent hunk of wood before an incident involving a not-dead witch and a pack of wolves propels her into an apprenticeship. She nearly gets lost in an eagle's brain before her mistress realises that the wizard's power within needs channelling, preferably not into her nice cast-iron fireplace. Witch and Little Girl set off for Ankh-Morpork and the musty mysteries of a men's only magic university. Amazing. Uh, I forgot to do a note on spoilers, so I'm going to do a note on spoilers. Oh yeah, do that. Note it. Note it. Note. Disclaim it. <laughs> Disclaimer. Some spoilers. No, so this is a spoiler light podcast. Major spoilers for the book we're currently discussing, Equal mm. Rights, right up to the end. But we're, we'll do our best to avoid spoiling any future events in the next books. And we are going to hold off any and all discussion of the final book, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. We've been so good on that. I haven't, I, I haven't even need, needed to bleep anything about it. I've, I've come close. Mm. <laughs> there were a couple of notes on this episode that then had to be cut. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Cut before they were even alive. Basically, we're going to end up talking about this book a lot again. Yes. Yes, we are. But we're um, not there yet. 
We are not. Do you have any follow-up? Um, not really. Did you do any of your homework? Uh, no, I, obviously I didn't do any of my homework. Francine. Um, I, I just reminded myself of what the homework was that I didn't do. Does that help? Yeah, that counts. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. No, I don't have anything major to follow up on from last week's episode. Um, in that case, do you want to summarise the book ahead or the section ahead? So in the se- in this section, it's journey time. Hooray! We're going on a journey. Literal journey. Literally going on a journey. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Uh, we're supposed to be heading to the Unseen University, but Granny doesn't know where that is. So yeah. we head to the nearby town of Ohulan Kutash. Very nice. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. Because it's not real. <laughs> uh, Granny's mate tells them Hogwarts, sorry, the university is in fact in Ampmoorpork, 500 miles away. Mm. Esk gets herself lost in this funky little town, because she wants to. <laughs> Pops to the pub, almost gets kidnapped before falling asleep on a barge, and goes off sailing with the Zoons. Granny uses a crystal ball to find where Esk has gone, and sees that the staff is distilling magic into Esk. Oh no. Not my sort of distillery. Uh, and Granny decides she's going to go and find Esk on foot. Good old Granny. Mm. Esk decides the Zunes are going to start asking questions about the staff and things, so she buggers off from them, joins a caravan headed for Ankh Morpork. Great. She meets Simon and the wizard Treetle. Ugh. Yeah. Um, Granny falls into a bear trap with a bear, beats the bear up because she's Granny. <laughs> Dwarves come and get her out and fix up her broomstick. Treetle, the wizard, is a bit of a dick, so Esk storms off from the caravan. Esk storms off a lot. Yeah. She doesn't like to storm. Seems to off. work out in her favour. Yep. She falls asleep in the forest, has a very weird dream when mm. everything catches fire around her a bit. Granny finds her, they fly to Ankh-Morpork together with the magically augmented broomstick, because <laughs> Esk is fun. They take up residence in the shades of Ankh-Morpork. Hooray! Terrible pun about a fence in there. Yes, very <laughs> terrible puns about fences. After a brief intro to the concept of sorcery, wonder if we'll come back to that. Hmm. Esk enters the university with the wizard Treasel, who she's bumped back into, while Granny enters round the back way and meets the housekeeper. Esk gets laughed out of the university after having a few performance issues and being unable to do any magic. But Granny tells her that she's found another way into the university. Ooh. 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 Well, ooh. Like, it is explicitly explained to us before that point. I know. But, <laughs> I just wanted to add a little bit of mystery. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can ooh where you like. I will not. Ooh. I'll stop now. <laughs> Too many oohs. Mm. So, quick check-in on helicopter and loincloth watch. Yeah, no, did you spot any? No loincloths. Oh. No helicopters, but oh. we did get proper flying broomsticks, which I feel makes up. proper. I mean, it's a broomstick and it flies. I think Pratchett compared it to the equivalent of a split-window Morris Minor. Alright, it's a start. <laughs> well, it does start eventually, yes. <laughs> With some jogging. <laughs> I was thinking more Robin Reliant. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh... But yeah, okay, so no helicopters. No, and also we learn that riding side saddle on it, not a great idea. Yeah, which disappoints me, because I always thought if I was a witch, I'd ride my broomstick side saddle. For goodness sake, why? No, it looks fun. I like going on Have you carousels. ever ridden a horse side saddle? No, but I've ridden carousel side saddle. Oh, we have done that. That was quite fun. Because I'm quite often in a corset and a floor-length skirt when I'm going on a carousel. Well, yes, of course. But when you're on a broomstick... I just think it'd be fun. All right, well... Well, I don't want to... On your head be it. (laughs) There's no way to say this that doesn't sound slightly rude, but I don't want a big uncomfortable stick that's going to give me splinters going up between my legs. Well, that's why you wear all the petticoats. I mean, if I was in trousers... Hmm then I'd quite happily ride the broomstick normally. But in a skirt and petticoats, side saddle is easier. All right, all right. It's very difficult to straddle things while wearing petticoats. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. Well, I'm sure I wouldn't know about that, 
No, it's very rare you wear petticoats, isn't it, Francie? <laughs> um, so going to the actual book, I think, would be better. So should we go on to our first proper recap section, which is favourite quotes? Uh, yeah, favourite quotes. My favourite quote is a short one, and I've been good and only picked one, because I've snuck all the other quotes I like into other parts of the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I did, I did notice. I will give us a rigorous scru- structure and then find every possible way I can to ignore it. <laughs> if you ignore the rules, people will, half the time, quietly rewrite them so that they don't apply to you. Very true. <laughs> it is very true, and I really like it, A, because it's true, but also because the people who stick to that the most aren't always good people they like a lot of the people sort of going oh those rules just don't apply to me tend to be on a higher economic Mm, end mm. of the spectrum yeah um and i think it would do well for people for the rest of the world to remember that sometimes yeah i mean it's a it's a useful but probably not the lesson you'd want your kid to learn but the lesson i learn at school like so if i just do what i want basically things will probably be fine yeah which i'm not gonna say has served me well all the time but <laughs> but i think there are times where it's really important to remember that like obviously this theater and the industry around it are very there's lots of barriers and there's lots of ladders and it's a lot easier to be part of the industry if you are wealthy and white and male and connected mm. And it's very and it's very easy as an outsider looking in on it to go, oh well, it's not really a space for me, is it? And so it's quite good to sort of go. Actually, if I completely ignore those rules yeah. and barge in, everyone will just sort of have to work around me, and not just me, but a yeah. lot of people getting into theatre now. And it's a nice thing. That's sort of the way the barriers come down is by people blithely walking in and ignoring them. Yeah. Now take that attitude. And apply it to the conversation we were having the other day where you said you weren't qualified for those jobs. Ah, good point. Yes, right, that okay. is exactly what I mean when it comes to just ignoring the required qualifications and things and saying, yeah, but I can do this anyway, so... Give me a <laughs> I mean, not if you're, like, going to practice surgery. Or... Yeah. No, I can get why a degree... <laughs> the fucking marketing, like... <laughs> yeah. I can get why a degree is required for, you know, being a doctor. Building bridges, things like that, yeah. But, yeah, go... the. the Amount of jobs that a degree required, the degree can be in literally anything. Yeah, exactly. I could have a degree in applied physics and that'd be enough for a marketing job. Yeah. So not having a degree but having lots of marketing experience. Probably a good thing. Yeah, but also, like Bill Hicks said, everyone who works in marketing should kill themselves, so I feel like I shouldn't go into it. I mean... Yeah, he's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does haunt me sometimes when I have to kind of sell myself slightly and write some marketing stuff, but... Uh, you know, I didn't... I didn't choose to be born into a capitalist society. Exactly. And now I do have to find a way to function within it until we can destroy the entire system and start again from scratch, which at this point is going to take some full apocalyptic event. Yes. But as we've already discussed, you know, you and I have got our apocalypse plans pretty much sorted. Yeah, no, that's all zipped up. I don't think we need to worry about that now. I mean, we could do things like organise the shelter we talked about, but that seems like a lot of effort. So. Stop part some tin food. Yeah. Let's just have a vague plan in the back of our head, shall we? Yeah, yeah. I'll do like an Amazon shop or something. <laughs> Good shit. Uh, sorry, wait, that was off topic, wasn't it? Mm. But yeah, so I like that idea of um, blithely ignoring some barriers and I think more people would yeah. do well to remember they can. And also just on a personal level, like I have friends who are super charismatic and very good at going, I know this is technically the rule, but could you? Yes. 
that I always feel, I think because I'm British, a, a huge amount of secondhand embarrassment while they do it and then find myself suddenly sat at a very nice table in a fancy cocktail while being given free drinks and sort of go, oh, maybe I should be less British about this. And Yeah. But also I would I would never do it. I I find myself more able to do stuff like that as I get older and I am optimistic about it as my mum is really good at that stuff. Mm. And I see myself developing personally very similarly to my mum. So. I mean, I have to say, the people I see doing this where I respect them, or at least I'm sort of in awe of them doing it for being this sort of charismatic, are the ones who do it in a way where they are very, very lovely to everyone concerned. Well, that's it, exactly. Like, there is no point going in and just being a dick about everything. Like, yeah. why? Sometimes it does work. You know, it, it, sometimes it does work. But when it does, it's not going to work half as well as doing it the nice way. Yeah. And, you know, you can just, I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't have to justify not being a dick, but I feel like I, I do a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, there is a difference between blithely ignoring the rules, but going in and being so lovely and charming that they are rewritten around you and you end up having a lovely time. Going in blithely ignoring the rules and being a dick and making life a lot harder for everyone around mm. you and making them miserable so you can get what you want. I was um, talking to a mutual friend of ours on Saturday and he said to me that he didn't realise until recently that you could use niceness as a weapon. Oh. I was like, really? You didn't know that? He was like, yeah, no, I guess it was just the way I was brought up. But like, because I, I said to him, basically, we, I was going to see someone that night I wasn't particularly keen on seeing. And I just said, I'm going to be so fucking nice to everybody. And he was like, yeah, I never really understood that until recently, but it does work, doesn't yeah. it? You can just be aggressively kind and thoughtful. I'm not very good at it because I am just by nature kind of a dick. <laughs> I've, I've... It's the channel that. <laughs> no, no, this is something I've to an extent come to accept about myself and not in a way where because I know that I'm a bit of a dick, I then feel like I have carte blanche to do whatever I want. I still try and be nice whenever. Hmm. But I know deep down I am just a bit of a bastard. <laughs> so if I, so I'm more likely to weaponize niceness than be nice for the sake of being nice. <laughs> It's not entirely true. I do try and make people happy. I'm just awful at it. Well, I think intent and consequence. You can get into a whole philosophical argument about which is more important, can't you? But I tend to fall on the side of the latter. I tend to fall on the side of the latter, but I don't think you can ignore intent. No, no, not within yourself. Um, that's why there's. I'm very much on the thing of there's no so there are no black and white moral issues. Yeah. As much as I would like that to be. As much as I would love everyone and for everyone to agree with me on what those black and white moral issues were. Yeah, I mean, can't, is, it, is that so much to ask? Yeah, <laughs> I would just like everyone to agree with me about everything all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, okay, so your favourite quote, Francine. Well, unfortunately, I didn't agree with you on which one it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine's a slightly more whimsical and a bit longer. Whimsy. Oh, I know. So we're talking about, uh, I think you've picked something similar for your favourite quote in the past. We're just talking about the the sunlight on the disc and its, oh, yeah. its particular this has come and up peculiar physical qualities. Um, so Pratchett is describing how it's, it's, it's not sudden, it kind of dawn sloshes gently across the sleeping landscape. Um, but the couple of paragraphs I liked were, an observer on some suitable high point, let's say for the sake of argument, a wisp of cirrostratus on the edge of space, 
would remark on how lovingly the light spreads across the land, how it leaps forward on the plains and slows down when it encounters high ground, how beautifully it... Well, actually, there are some kinds of observers who, faced with all this beauty, will whine that you can't have heavy light and certainly wouldn't be able to see it even if you could, to which one can only reply, so how come you're standing on a cloud? (laughs) It is a very beautiful two paragraphs poking fun at people who can't just enjoy things and let other people enjoy things. I do like the, but so how come you're standing on a cloud? Yeah, just that last little one. (laughs) And the kind of related note, the suspension of disbelief we can all give ourselves that is then sometimes shattered by, it's like, yeah, no, I can quite happily accept that we're in this weird fantasy universe with trolls and on a disc and everything. But this particular point of physics I am prepared to argue about. (laughs) While standing on a cloud. Yes. (laughs) I I like the way Pratchett sort of of pokes fun at him or his world. Mm. And he sort of nods and it's almost like uh, getting in the, yes, I know it's silly before anyone else can get in with a but that's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm like, yes that's the point. <laughs> yeah. We can all agree that this is ridiculous. That's that's what we're doing. Yeah. Anyway, so I just like that one. There's not yeah. much deeper meaning behind one. No, no philosophy. We're no. not going to get into moral relativism. No. No. Not no. today, Joanna. Mm, okay. no. I was arguing about objectivism with somebody the other day. Oh, you don't need that in your life. No. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, new characters we meet. Hmm, go. Let's not do moral relativism or objectivism. Mostly because I'm not entirely 100% sure that I know enough about either to convince that we have a conversation about them. Well, no, I don't, which is why the argument was so stressful. (laughs) I could normally, between the year and a half of A-level ethics and watching The Good Place a lot, I reckon I could bollocks my way through a conversation about it. Now that's a highly qualified young lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, watching The Good Place is difficult because it is a bit like, I know enough of studying ethics to know that these are very funny things that are happening, but I couldn't tell you why. So I'm just going to very pointedly laugh when other people aren't laughing because, ah, I know the extra joke. <laughs> Even though 90% of the time I watch it alone. You're the best. <laughs> I just want people to think I'm clever. Oh, you are, darling. Now, very cleverly introduce these characters for us, will you? <laughs> Patronising cow. Yeah. <laughs> We meet Hilda Goatfinder. Uh-huh. She's lovely. She's a, well, I say city witch. Hulan Kutash isn't really a city. It's a small town witch. Two Granny Weatherwax is a big city. Yes. Because she's a she's a country witch. Um, I, I just like, we don't really see her again, I don't think. I don't believe so. Spoilers. She Yeah, she goes off to hang out with Zephyr, the god of light breezes. Yes. <laughs> um. But I like that Pratchett goes, okay, I have this basic concept of this is what a witch is. This is what a witch means in this world I have created. Mm. Now let's introduce another one and see what's different about her based on where she lives. Yeah, literally a few miles down the road. Yeah. Um, and I, I think he, the fact that he's extending out his witch template that early. And it's particularly cool in the context of a book about feminism, mm. which is... Yes, these are these defined gender roles within this society. If you look within this defined gender role, oh, hey, they're individual people. <laughs> yeah. And she's just an interesting character. I like a lot of uh, of how she works and what she says. And I will, I will end up talking about her a bit more. But I do like her sort of acknowledging the headology of what she's doing. and But in no direct words, Inesque walking in and going like, yep, headology. Know what that yeah. is now? Yeah. <laughs> in that way that only like a bolshy nine-year-old can. Yeah, absolutely. And Esk's weird mix of intelligence and naivety does a lot of very good comedy things in this section of the book. 
Mm. Um, we meet the Zunes, who I just really like as a concept mm. for being this uh, sort of nomadic traveling. They're nomadic and they travel on barges, which reminded me of, of the Egyptians in His Dark Materials. Yes. Um, but just because I'm rereading Northern Lights right yeah. now. Yeah, and they are traveling folk on a barge. Yes. Um, but I really like the idea of this tribe that don't do lying. Yeah. In such a way that it highlights everyone else's lying and embarrasses them. Yeah, and the way it's just, they are all very much, they have to be honest and direct about everything. Uh, this quote, the Zunes had never heard about a euphemism and wouldn't know what to do with it if they had one, except that they would <laughs> certainly have called it a nice way of saying something nasty. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they've developed liars who can exist as, so that they can exist as a trading race. Um, there was the quote about it. I really like, this is me cheating and having multiple notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> multiple quotes, even. The liar holds a position of considerable eminence. He represents his twi- tribe in all his dealings with the outside world, which the average Zoon long ago gave up trying to understand. Zoon tribes are very proud of their liars. Other races get very annoyed about all this. They feel that the Zunes ought to have adopted more suitable titles like diplomat or public relations officer. <laughs> they feel they are rather poking fun at the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it is beautiful. The, 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 the general concept of somebody <sighs> prizing a characteristic that you don't like to acknowledge within yourself to such an extent that it kind of embarrasses you. I just, yeah. I, I really like that concept. I'm trying to think of a parallel. You say your thing while I'm having a think, sorry. Well, no, I like like that this is a thing Terry Pratchett does where he goes, what if I take this thing, this idea, this exists, Mm -hmm. and I take out one fundamental part of being human? Yeah. What does that make these people? So he's taken this group of people and gone, if I take away that one fundamental thing, which is the idea of lying, any kind of dishonesty, how does that make this race of people tick? Yeah. Um, and I think he, and it's, it's like a thought experiment and it's, it's not a huge thing. You know, the zines don't become this major thing across the disc world. No, but they do have to adapt and. Yeah. But it, it, they don't come up a lot in books. He just throws in this little thought experiment based on a tribe yeah. of people and then wanders off and does the whole other book. Yeah. And I like that he makes the time to throw those in rather than it just, here is a nomadic tribe of people and she's traveling on their barges now. Yeah, no, that's right. That is. A really good point, actually. It's that every little bit of the journey. <laughs> I can't. I really the wish I could just say that fucking scene. word normally again. Now you've ruined me, Joe. Sorry. Um, it, it is just peppered with these these little details that just make the whole thing just really enjoyable to read. Yes, yeah. that's why I, this is uh, this is a, this is why I love Pratchett is because we have these really nice moments of he couldn't leave a blank space where there could have been another joke in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have the Zunes. Did you have any other Zoom thoughts? Um, no, tangentially related. I just really like the idea of sperkles. Yes. Is that, that how you, is that what they were called? Sperkle? Sperkles. Yeah, the sperkles. Um, Chameleon stones. Yeah. Again, something that doesn't really come up again, no. but just a really nice concept while they were there. Yes, I like the little existence. We also meet Simon and the wizard Treetle. Yes, who... Uh, why... I really want to know why Simon stutters because of hay fever. I don't think he does. I think okay. it's like a... It's kind of a, a just... It's pointing out that 
they know fuck all about stuttering. Yeah, uh, just just basic. I I I think it's it, I'm possibly looking a bit deep into this, but I kind of read it as a, and this is kind of an obvious limit to their wisdom. Like they may be the all knowing wizards of whatever, but they're like this speech impediment that we in this world know a little bit about is like oh hay fever probably yeah. okay. <laughs> must be allergic to pollen that's why he's yeah. stuttering yeah no I, I hadn't thought about it like that and i like that but yes i quite like simon uh he's a sweet kid who seems very intelligent we hang out with him a lot more in the final third of the book i don't like treetle i'm not surprised treetle's a i'm dick. not sure we're meant to well yes all right fine but he is a dick yeah he's like uh he's drumbillet if drumbillet was still alive but i think this is the the point is is that the wizards are just like this and we have to deal with it yeah i mean i think it's at some point in there it said that it's never really occurred to him to be unkind to children he's not like a bad person he's just you know the kind of low level bigot that yeah. You expect in these situations, like, it's just, ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of my notes around things that Treetle does throughout the book are just, in fact, my, I've just turned to one of these notes here and it just says, ah, I'm going to punch this wizard. Oh, excellent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I got very, <laughs> I got, I've used a lot of strange combinations of vowels and R's to write how I feel about Treetle. <laughs> which, uh, which quote was it that made you? Um, that's, uh, I'll get onto it a little bit more in a bit, but it involves him talking about the difference between witchcraft and wizardry. Ah, it's yes. very similar to how I felt about Drum the Tree in the last section of Equal <laughs> Rights. We also get introduced to the concept of gnolls. Briefly. Very briefly. Um, in that they attack this travelling caravan and the wizard deals with them. Mm. But I, I was kind of curious, so I looked them up. So gnoll without the G in Middle English means a stupid or drunk person. Mm. Um, and they're first mentioned as these le- in Lord Dunsany's writing on the Fae. Uh, How long ago is that? Oh, uh, 1800s, I want to say. Okay. Um, I've got some Lord Dunsany stuff. Uh, there's a really beautiful book, and I can't remember what it's called now, which is going to bug me. Mm. Um, they sort of, these gross things that lurk at the edge of forests. Now, they were introduced into Dungeon and Dragons, the concept of gnolls with a G. Mm. Um, and were originally human troll hybrids. This is in the 1974 version of D&D. Mm. In Advanced D&D in 1977, they were human hyena hybrids. Cool. But in the Discord, they're not really described in this pit apart from... Uh, Some kind of stone troll, isn't it? Or No, it doesn't even say that they're stone. It just says, oh yeah, a variety of stone goblin. Ah. Um, but every other time they're mentioned in the Discord after this, they're these street cleaner things. So... We very fun, you very kindly found it for me, the Discord Companion. Uh, and in the Discord Companion, they're described as a softer skinned variety of troll, but without the latter's intelligence and noble disposition. <laughs> a few are now moving into Ank Moorpork. They're scavengers, both as a means of eating and also for more complex, hard to understand reasons. They'll make careful collections of old spoons or dead seagulls, which appear to be extremely significant to both themselves and other gnolls. It is believed that the huge fetid heaps carried on the bent backs of gnolls are not, in fact, some kind of carapace, but are their worldly goods. Sounds like a kind of proto-goblin looking ahead. Looking very far ahead, yeah. But that's not even the gnolls we get here. So I think he pulled out a random fantasy term for something that could attack a caravan. Yeah. And then, yeah, total retcon. Yep. But it was a fun excuse for me to look up where the word comes from. So now I'm glad I've learned some Middle English, a bit of Lord Dunsany, and some stuff about D&D, which I've still never played. Yeah. We should uh, get you on that one day. You'll hate it. 
I might like it. You make stuff. You, like, I'm good at making you, stuff up. Well, I think you'd be a very good dungeon master. I don't think you would like to cede enough control to be a player. Oh uh, yeah, good point. I would if I, provided I could play as someone who was a dick. Like if I could intentionally just not do what the dungeon master wanted all of the time. Okay, no one wants to play with you. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is why I will probably never play D anD. D. I th- I genuinely think you should do the dungeon master thing at some point though. That would be quite fun. Just like, like a one off activity for me and you, and I don't know, we'd probably draft someone else in. Otherwise, got- it'd just be you telling me what to do for an hour. But <laughs> I'm into that. That doesn't sound like D anD. D though. That sounds like something else with a different acronym. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Can we? To uh, Mrs. Palm. <laughs> Gather your petticoats. Oh, yes, that's a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> segue. Mrs. Palm and her five lovely daughters. Thank you for having me and being oh so kind. I was never going to get to Mrs. Palm and not sing Over Biggin. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes rather than uh, extrapolate, shall we? I was going to sing the whole thing, but fine. <laughs> um, but I thought this was quite cool because obviously we talked about the pits when we were talking about... <laughs> Sorry, I just love the casual. Like, obviously, when we were talking about the hall pits. Uh, well, no, when we were talking about uh, in the very first episode, when yes. we were talking about the colour of magic, we talked about Ankh-Morpork's hall pits and mm-hmm. how that never comes up again. And the system becomes this sort of seamstresses. And this is the first hints in that there is a lovely woman called Mrs. Palm, who's a very respectable lady, and people come to visit them all night long. She lives with all these young ladies <laughs> who are apparently her relatives. So uh, this is when Granny and Esca staying yeah. near a brothel. Yeah. Okay, anyway, moving on from wanking. God, this I may have to mark this one's explicit material. <laughs> Unlike the one with the turtle sex noises. Yeah, no, that's good, clean turtle sex fun, that one. <clears throat> Did you say good, clean turtle sex no, fun? No, I didn't. Move on. Mrs. Whitlow! Mrs. Who's Whitlow, actually the actually a housekeeper. recurring character, the first of all these lot, actually, isn't it? No, Mrs. Palm as well. But Mrs. Whitlow is a... This is our first introduction to... A major side character, if there is such a thing. She's a sort of recurring background character mm-hmm. because she works at the Unseen University and obviously we spend quite a lot of time there. And I, yes, I enjoy her company. Yeah, and she's um, promoted to proper side character in uh, The Last Continent, which, which is one, one of my favourites, which yeah. is why, yeah, she's got a special place in my heart. Um, but I like how she's written here. And in fact, this, this kind of brings us on to, to little bits we liked. You liked her, her posh accent, didn't you? Oh, it did. Yeah. Hold on. The way it's, it's written. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, oh, again, I'm not sure if this is one of those things. I think there are some things it must be difficult to appreciate in the same way if you aren't British. And that sounds so patronizing to like our no, international This is such but... a British thing of someone who's kind of. Especially coming from, like, my northern side of my family is kind of working class, done good, become middle class. Yeah. This way of the, the weird, weird British class system being what it is. And so someone trying to give themselves this big class boost because yeah. I am at the top of all of these underlings because she's in the head housekeeper. Yeah. She is pretty much the second most powerful person at the university. Yeah. Most powerful being the, the chancellor. Yeah, um, and it's yeah. Um, anyone who who like wants an insight into this kind of concept, and especially around this kind of time that Pratchett was writing it, actually, um, what's that show called with Mrs. Bouquet or Bucket in it? Oh God, I can't. Keeping up appearances. Yes, yes, keeping up appearances. I'll, I'll, I'm sure there's some on YouTube. I'll link it in the show notes because it's um, Hyacinth, but Hyacinth Bouquet. Darling. Not bucket. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, a 
basically the huge class thing in the UK. And it's just this very recognisable... Um, she stood up and beamed at Granny and with an almost perceptible click wound her voice up several social classes. Yes. Says, Pray excuse us, she said. You find us hall at sixes and sevens it being washing day and everything. Is this a courtesy call or may I make so bold as to ask? She lowered her voice. Is there a message from the other side? <laughs> it is such a perfect is the way it's written is so perfectly what that voice is what that accent is yes and the h's everywhere because everybody knows that you shouldn't drop your h's because that is a common thing to do and so they've added h's on everything <laughs> of course we're all, all at sixes and sevens yes and if you want to look at your upper middle class snobs they will always go on about how common people say h as h Yes, and, and it's H. Yes, and you don't need H. to talk to those people because... Oh, God, no, never. It's just classist wankery. <laughs> so, yeah, so class system and voice is always really quite fun. Mm. Yeah, that's actually way deeper than I expected just from that fun little bit, so well done, us. I, 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 Taking the fun out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's well written as well, like the way he manages to describe that voice by just adding a few extra H's mm. and... Yeah. It's, it makes me happy. It's very clever. Yeah, the the amount he can describe without description. Yeah. Show me, don't tell me. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, show, don't tell. That's a thing. That's sometimes a thing. Sometimes it's sometimes just tell, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, sometimes fine. do tell, yeah. Expo- there is nothing wrong with a bit of exposition. Yeah. Um, yeah, the next little bit I liked. Similarly to your favourite quote, actually, yeah. uh, you're ignoring the rules thing. This was- is more of the kind of sister to that. Which is the not being aware of the rules or not being aware that these things can't be done is quite often a really good route towards getting dis- them done anyway. Yeah, getting them done, discovering new ways of doing things. It's like how quite often you'll get a, a discovery in a field by somebody who wasn't brought up within the establishment because they genuinely can think outside the box. It's very difficult to think outside the box once you're in it. Yeah. Um, like an everyday example would be doing a crossword or something for instance or trying to answer a trivia clue and once you have an idea in your head even if it's not correct you can't think of anything else yeah so like it's like ah six letters down zebra zebra not six letters can't think of anything but zebra now that's it i'm done for the day i'm gonna have to come back to this tomorrow like (laughs) but yeah so this is when esk manages to pull the staff to her by it dissolving in one place and reappearing where she is isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. so basically he's just Casually changes the fabric of reality. (laughs) Because she doesn't know she can't change the fabric of reality. And it goes back to, um, you were talking last week about Granny knowing things and not telling Esk becomes a big plot machine Mm. in this. Like, that is often what is moving the plot forward. Yeah. Is Esk not knowing something that someone really could have told her at some point? Yes. Uh, Obviously, she hasn't met the wizard who could have been someone who pointed this out to her at some point. Yeah. But, um... And again, um, Simon, who yeah. we meet with Treetle, is another example of this. He wasn't taught by anyone. That's mentioned quite explicitly when he gets to the university. And he's like this incredible genius who's massively thinking outside the box and dazzles people with his ideas. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine largely because he wasn't told things had to be this way. Yeah. But yeah, this is kind of interesting because this brings us to you saying that Esk has like the journalistic and 
uh, instincts. Oh yeah, no, just um... which is some, but that's something you've got the background in, despite not having a degree, Francine. What the hell? Oh, I know. Um, I did the pretty primitive method of leaving school at sixteen and then just going and working on a magazine. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> but the um, yeah, just basically, she's saying, uh, esque, wandering, unregarded amidst the bustle, learned all of the background exposition by. Uh, by the simple method of finding someone who looked important and tugging on the hem of his coat. And in a slightly less intrusive way, that is exactly how one does research. Um, When it involves people, it is... You find yourself in a new situation and you go, hmm, someone around here will know what they're on about. Hello, sir. What are you on about? Yes. And literally, it is quite often that simple. And also, just just in this uh, bit of the book... um, it is useful as advice to very simply explain the exposition. Uh, so he's, you know, gone on about where Zemphis, Zem- the town she's in, is, and like why things are happening, and uh, people are going off to Ankh Morpork, and she knows this because she was eavesdropping casually. Yeah. It's like rather than having to do the whole, as you know, Bob, and just convoluted ways of adding exposition, this is what- you can just tell, not show, yeah. as you were saying, yes. This is what I meant by tell instead of show. Yeah. Like, show don't tell is great advice, but it's also terrible. Like, sometimes you just need to be expositional, mm-hmm. and there are better ways than, as you know, Bob. Yeah. As you know, Bob is the worst, worst version of yeah. show don't tell. Yes, yeah, so bad. I guess so. Um, I almost wish no, I'd never become aware of it, because it does ruin so much TV now. <laughs> Yeah, I find it's more of a problem with TV. Although I notice it in writing as well. Like in books, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think possibly because I'm fussier than I used to be with what I read. But I like picking up on how exposition works and things mm-hmm. I'm watching. Like His Dark Materials is a good example mm-hmm. of the new TV show. of That has the whole thing of demons, which stay with you from... That, that just exist and it's almost like an external part of your soul. and yeah. I was wondering how they would get explained on the TV series because obviously in the book there is room to write down exactly what they are. Yeah, and he's like a, a more of a direct narrator yeah. than a lot. So they, and in the TV series, they're just kind of there mm. and then there are offhand bits of conversation like uh, the kids are playing in the crypts at this university. So one kid says to another something about... Um, so your demons stay with you until you die. So are those all of the demons in the crypts? Yeah. And then there's another bit where you see someone saying, this is what my demon has permanently decided to be when I've turned this age. And so it explains what they do and how they work yeah. in the TV series without any as you know bobbing. Yeah. By just so it's just quite explicit with it. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, I, I mean, I would assume 90% of people reading the series are already reading the series watching the series yeah. <laughs> have some familiarity with the books and the concept already yeah yeah but i thought it was a good way to yeah. do the explaining exposition. things to children is a really good exposition mm. technique actually isn't it if you've got a kid in the or just mix. children having a conversation yeah yeah huh oh, that's one to file away mentally yeah um but we were talking about uh when she goes up to this guy running the caravan and grabs his coat mm. and there was a thing here i noticed that really made me laugh because it's something terry pratchett like points out a lot mm. uh, and he's talking about uh, this guy who's running the caravan talks about not liking yeah. the zooms no one trusts them very much even though they're very honest he says you know what they say never trust an honest man an esque because she is naive yeah it's just like who says that it's just like they do people and and terry pratchett is really good at the pointing out the ridiculousness of the man in the street yes the, 
They, <laughs> they all say that. Stands to reason. <laughs> Stands to reason. My mate down the pub told me yeah. uh, the truth, which is see where the podcast gets its name, but it's, yeah. we're not there yet because it's book 25 when we're on book three. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> properly goes into that hard. And of everyone assuming, you know, they and they're special people and they have done this. And mm. eventually someone's like, no, it's just, it's me. It's just people. It's I, am, <laughs> I am they. I just yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I like that he uses Ask being very intelligently naive. Yeah. Like her mix of intelligence and naivety. And curiosity. And curiosity gets her very far and also just allows him to really, really poke at things with a stick. Yes. Because if you, you could have left that at her not addressing it at all and him just saying, you know what they say, never trust an honest man. Yeah. And be like, oh, that's all I need to know about that character. Yes. But Ask questioning him on it S going yeah but who what? who's they yeah <laughs> they don't sound very clever yeah. or something she ends it with yeah 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 so I thought that was clever and I like I, I'm gonna end up putting that out every time Terry Pratchett does it because it makes me happy yeah it is good it, it's uh you vocalize that very well I, I struggle to explain to people why I like that but yeah good. because I've met them and they're all dicks um I have bigger points to make do you now in this book I am shocked <laughs> should we have a little pause yeah let's let's get a coffee it's a very feminist book yes he talks about the difference between men and women and witches and wizards a lot Mm -hmm. and within that he puts in all these tiny moments of feminism not necessarily feminism at least acknowledging that the patriarchy sucks but um one of the other smaller ones he does is when we're talking to hilda Goatfinder, and it was following on from a point last week when where we were talking about what granny does and um esk asks and she says, I don't recognise any of these potions. What do they give to people? And Hilda says, freedom. Mm. And she's talking, obviously, very specifically about the contraceptive ones. And I just like that in a small line, and it's not a huge deal, Terry Pratchett very much acknowledges yeah. that that's what these things represent to people, is freedom. Yeah. yeah. We could have gone off a whole reset rabbit hole of like the introduction of female contraceptives and... Yeah, I nearly did, <laughs> and I thought I don't need to, because it's it's a small moment in the book. Yeah, and it is a very simple point, although it has a huge history behind it. Yeah, the, the point is when women can control whether or not they get pregnant, or whether or not they, they remain pregnant. A, yeah, then they can be free in a way that they were denied for centuries. Yeah, or they found ways of yes, <laughs> <laughs> because obviously versions of contraception existed at least far back as the ancient Egyptians. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, really, we only have to bother with this shit because our stupid evolution went down a weird track where we can't just... Turn it ju- off if we're not using it. Yeah, exactly. Which, like, a bunch of animals can. <laughs> yeah. I'm so annoyed about that. I know. This should be... I, I mean, was like, right, okay, just putting the womb on standby for 20 years. Yeah. Or, in our case, full shutdown. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, it should be an opt-in, not an opt-out. <laughs> yeah. Because... Like organ donation. Yeah. <laughs> No, wait, no, the other way. (laughs) Because parenting, raising a kid is a big, big, big undertaking that... Right? Literally, directly affects many, many other human lives. Mm -hmm. And that should not be something that you cannot control whether or not you're going to do. Yeah. That should very much be an opt-in, so... Yeah, and I've always found it weird that, like, you have to explain to people why you don't want children instead of the other way around. It's like, oh, you don't want kids? How come? It's like... 
well, I mean, do you want to explain why I should? Because it seems like a terrible idea all round looking at it on paper. (laughs) I do not want to be responsible at that level for another human life. Ow, my body. Ow, my autonomy. Ow, my freedom forever. Ow, my purse. Like (laughs) that poor kid having to have this as a mother. Dramatically gesturing at herself there. Yeah. So I like the the very quick and easy acknowledgement that contraception equals freedom. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and that he doesn't go into a huge di- no one goes into a huge diatribe about it. No, it's just accepted. Yeah, because and the small quiet moments of feminism within this big book with a lot of feminist themes make me very happy. Yeah, and As- it is quite a realistic depiction of how these conversations would happen between women. Yes, um, there's he acknowledges that, or because this is sort of from Esk's point of view. Um, while the two women exchange gossip in a kind of feminine code full of eye contact and unspoken adjectives. And this is sort of es- from Esk's point of view while she's poking yeah. around at the poems. And she's nine, and so there are things she doesn't know yet. Mm-hmm. And later on in this section, Granny acknowledges that Esk sort of has a bit of a blind spot. of She knows yeah. how baby goats are made, and she, but she seems to be missing that final leap yeah. of how it relates to her. I was very similar, I must say. I did not do the whole sex ed thing until... Pretty much until we were doing the sex ed thing in school. Like, oh, no, I, well, some of it I got, I picked up from like magazines. But... Well, I had an older sister. Ah, yes, yeah. So obviously, yeah. my mum had to explain stuff to me. So I knew mm-hmm. why she was like screaming and crying once a month. Yes, yeah, I got all that explained to me. Like I got the period explained to me, and yeah. like I, mum taught me the anatomically correct names for all of my lady bits I'm now going to say in a, <laughs> in a ridiculous callback to uh, <laughs> my own prudery. Um, to be fair, I love weird prude names for it. Tuppence is one that uh, I love. I've never been able to beat Tuppence. Foof is quite good. Um, Garden of Heavenly Delights. Yeah, quite quite long-winded. but Oh yeah, no, there's some brilliant, ridiculous ones out there. Please do send us your favourite euphemisms for vulvas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Again, it's fine. I don't check the emails. <laughs> uh, God, sorry. How do we get on? Although, if you arrange them in a spreadsheet with like, I want yeah, I want to look at like age ranges and location, especially within the UK. Mm. Um, oh my God, Joe, we don't have time for this project. <laughs> Stop! I can see it. I can see it ahead of us, and we don't have the time or the maturity but to deal the with pie it. Charts, <laughs> <Francine. That> pie charts, Francie. Pie charts. Okay, I'm not going to make a pie chart of euphemisms for uh, lady bits based on age or region. Um, yeah, sorry, we've completely gone off. I'm on sorry, attention. I can't even remember what we were. Oh yeah, like the womanly kind of unspoken adjectives and that. And I remember being aware of that as well. Yeah, when you if you were around older, like for me, it's sort of being around uh, my teenage sister and her mm-hmm. friends when I wasn't a teenager yet. And mm-hmm. so you you get it from that perspective. And also, if your mum has friends around. Mm-hmm. And you're being aware that these are older feminine conversations, but you don't understand them yet. Yeah, like my mum and her friends were a lot of the time single women. Yeah. In their 40s. And I was hearing that, which is, as we now know, fucking hella sexual conversations a lot of the time. But because yeah. there were children around, it was a lot of looks. Wink, wink, nice, yeah. nice. <laughs> And I was like, I'm aware that there are large parts of the conversation I'm not getting and I'm a bit cross about it, but I don't really want to press. So. But especially <laughs> as in this context, the conversation is Granny and Hilta talking about the fact that Hilta doesn't get shut down because mm-hmm. the wives of the town want her there. Yes. And because she knows who buys what. Yes. Uh, um, buckaroo drops <laughs> being one of them. Uh, 
and so I like yeah as well as the, this idea of contraception being with freedom the larger thing of everyone needs this yeah but everyone is also very prudish and would like to uh, mm-hmm. to pull their cardigan close and be shocked that it exists at least publicly yeah like the, the obviously buckaroo drops being the equivalent of Viagra yeah which even now I would say it, it is a lot easier to discuss contraception openly for us than it would be for a man to discuss having to take uh, what do you call them performance enhancers yeah um performance enhancer sounds like a steroid it does i don't actually i don't know the actual word for it though like prophylactic has become Um, such um impotence drugs yeah impotence drugs yeah yeah um like i feel like yeah i feel like we've managed to steam ahead we've managed to steam ahead and there's a lot less stigma (laughs) and there is still a lot of stigma around that but talking about the stigma attached and how there's a lot of stigma still attached to what men use Mm. um people quite often point at that stigma and say, but hey, men are stigmatised too, so it's not just about feminism. It's like, mm. no, that's still very much a feminist issue because yeah. associating a particular kind of masculinity mm. with potence or impotence yeah. is very much a patriarchal issue. Yeah, it turns out that having a really rigid, narrow definition of what acceptable masculinity is is also bad for men. Who knew? Yeah. Like, right? <laughs> Restrictive gender roles help no one. Abolish gender. Tagline. Hey. <laughs> Anywho, um, <laughs> to move on to a slightly more... Yeah. Um, there is, you know, Granny's figuring out that she can't see her and Hilta says, gypsies always come here for the ha- fair. They might have taken her. Mm-hmm. And uh, So this is a whole deep issue. <laughs> this is a whole deep issue that I'm going to start off by saying I'm not really qualified to talk about because cool. I'm not Romani. Mm-hmm. So... If me talking about this is something someone finds interesting, I would really recommend doing some more research on it. So quickly, first mm-hmm. example, just to explain the Romani diaspora, and I'm quoting, I'm actually on TV tropes. Oh, really? Yeah, it has quite a good, because I, originally when I, they said this thing about gypsies pe- taking people, I wanted to go into the trope of it all and how that plays into this negative, I mean, the word is a racial slur. Yes. A, and it's a very negative stereotype. It refers to two groups of people, really. You have the Romani diaspora. You also have Irish travellers, which are a whole other thing that I'm not going to go into. Yeah. Um, Because I think most people are aware of it from the Romani perspective, which is still a travelling community. Yes. The only real thing in common between Irish travellers and the Romani is that they both get that word and neither should. Yes. Um, The Romani diaspora is a collection of ethnic groups found throughout Europe, the Americas and the Middle East. They originally emigrated from India, but were mistaken for Egyptians by medieval Europeans, which is how the term gypsy originated. That's true. I can remember hearing it a long time ago. Yeah, Yeah, I I do need to look at more sources for that, but this is obviously from the research I had time to do. Yeah. Um, And... Yeah, the, the whole bright outfits and wagons part of the trope is Eastern European... Um, so the obvious thing that kind of pops into people's mind for this stereotype is like um, es- Esmeralda uh, from um, the Disney Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, no, um, Notre Dame. However you pronounce it in Disney. Not tr- um, but yeah, it wasn't until quite recently that I realised gypsy wasn't an okay term, and I, I I'm guessing that that's because people in the UK think it's not as bad because there's a worse slur that's commonly used in the UK that I'm not even going to say. Yeah, no, I won't say that one either, but it but it comes from the word. Yeah. But also, um, in earlier days, obviously not now, it was some British Romani did in fact encourage the term because it helped to be thought of as 
more foreign and mysterious than coming from Egypt. Oh, sure. But yeah. I don't have sources for that. And like I said... Um, Do you know it's still used in English law, the word dipsy? Yeah. Yeah. And like, we know that uh, there's a lot of racial prejudice against... Oh, huge amounts. It's like the only more. okay version of racism in Europe at the moment, I swear. Like, it's yeah. so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it is still very much considered... Uh, they're considered acceptable ethnic mm. targets, which is yeah. When I say um, okay, by the way, listeners, there's obviously huge fucking quotation marks on yeah. the side of that. Like, <laughs> we know it's not okay, yeah. but it is still very much treated as okay. Yeah. Um, some of the negative stereotypes about romantic people come from gothic literature. It was okay. like such a huge trope of these evil fortune telling. Yeah, I guess they're an people. easy villain in that way. Yeah, um, transient and mysterious i do think patrick Rothfuss tried quite hard to do something good with it in name of the wind by oh, looking really at some of the tropes that, yeah. and having a nomadic culture that did suffer from racism yeah but i think he he wrote it in a very interesting way yeah like I, i'm not gonna say he did well or he didn't because it's not really for me to say well no exactly we don't know enough about the culture yeah. firsthand to and i don't think terry pratchett was being racist by saying oh. you were taken by gypsies it's just no. it's what that woman probably would have said in that <laughs> yeah okay. it's what that woman probably would have said and like i said that awareness of it as a slur and the whole troop around it and how that it's a term that's actually really referring to a very real group of people who aren't so nomadic anymore but who do very much still suffer um and such um such a dispersed not dispersed isn't quite the right word but diverse it's a diverse group within like just having that stereotype yeah for uh, romani people i don't know about them outside of europe but i know that even within europe there are just huge differences in culture because obviously there fucking are yeah (laughs) um one of the crimes punishable by death in the 18th to 19th century was spending more than one month in the company of gypsies. What? <laughs> yep. what? Oh my God. What? Um, in 2010, Paris came under fire from Amnesty International because they were attempting to port several hundred French Roma. Hmm. Um, and they were pretty much put into camps. Like, this is a very real thing that comes out today and I just wanted to bring it up. I wish Pratchett had had the time to because I feel like he would have explore the concept behind what happens to you if you try and live outside of this rigid definition of society and having traveling communities be a kind of example of that well this is the thing is that he's obviously trying to kind of subvert a trope because he also talks about the leader of the zunes being dressed gypsy like yeah i'm using air quotes here yeah because that's not a thing yeah um which i really hate that terms like gypsy skirts is still a thing yeah hey 2007 yeah go away (laughs) and people who still like put gypsy soul in the twitter bio and by that they mean they did a year in inja Inja. did that gap year in inja (laughs) so sad seeing all the poor people (laughs) those are the people who put the words gypsy soul in their twitter bio and they're all thick yeah um but he kind of tries to submit what is a trope Mm mm-hmm by having Esk taken by a group of nomadic people. Yeah, except she put herself there. <laughs> except she put herself there and was not in danger yes. and it was not a negative thing that was happening. Yeah, they were probably the least dangerous people she met in the whole section. Yeah. 
So yeah, I wanted to point that up while we were on that because I don't, like I said, I don't think Pratchett was being intentionally racist, but I don't think he was aware of the context when he said no, she I'm, might have been. And I think that has been used so much in fantasy. Yeah, books. I'm not at all surprised he wouldn't be. I wasn't until very recently, and in fact, again, this is 1987. I would doubt that one percent of the British population could have told you. No. It was not an okay thing. There are still popular slang terms that come from the word gypsy that mean to be cheated. Yeah, and oh, I mean, when I'm just... When you catch yourself saying something for the first time in years and you're like, oh, wait. That's where that comes from and that yeah, is not an okay right, thing okay. to say. Erasing yeah. that from my vocabulary, yeah. But yeah, because I know I'm not perfect and this is still very much a learning thing. Mm-hmm. But you learn together. Yes, we learn together, Joanna. But I, I would recommend doing more research if you get the time. I will, yeah. Um, moving on to something completely non-serious uh, at all. Oh, yeah, men are terrible. That was what I was going to talk yeah. about. <laughs> it's time for a visit from the patriarchy duck. Um, this is more because we talked about it last week and I was uh-huh. saying I wanted to punch Drumbill at the tree because he was mansplaining mm-hmm. and being, ah. And I'm glad you decided to spare your fist and not punch the tree because now we have a nice soft, pliable wizard face. Yes. No, I know they're written like this intentionally. Like yeah. it's not, it's very, very good writing. Yeah, yeah. Because it sums this up perfectly. But my note for page 150 is just, I'm going to punch oh, yeah. this wizard. Um, <laughs> and it comes into a bit of something you wanted to talk about, but it's just, he's sort of saying that, Witchcraft is is sensible, but witchcraft is very suitable for helping people through life. But women aren't sensible enough to become wizards. Yeah, um, witchcraft is for uh, having babies and so forth. But women are too excitable, and high magic requires clarity of thought, and that's not where women's brains lie. Yeah, actually, that's a better place for for my point than the place I put it. So, yeah, we can we can talk about both. Yeah. But I was gonna you do your bit. My bit is literally that. Um, very recently, Marco Pierre White, was, who's a very famous male chef, mm. was talking about how he doesn't think women should work in the kitchen because they're too excitable and they get too emotional. It, like, it's... Unlike noted Zen master Marco Pierre White. Yeah, who oh. is super chill all the time <laughs> and a hack. Um, but it made me... What he says there specifically about women being too emotional for... Mm. Um, high magic hmm. really really reminded me of the Marco Pierre White thing and a thing that happens with uh, chefs and restaurants in general less now like I really think we are starting to move past it Yay. but it's so directly parallel to the witch wizard thing where witches are the ones that stay at home and they deliver the babies mm. and they do these earthly magics while the wizards go off and do the high magic and yeah. it's very much in the culinary world women are very women, women are home cooks and pastry chefs and pastry chefs and women cook at home five nights a week planning and getting everything and trying to put nutritious like obviously this is very much a gender stereotype thing i'm not saying this is how the world actually should work it's all right you don't need to keep disclaimering it i'm just gonna go ahead and assume you're not a twit thank you thank you (laughs) whereas men go off into fancy restaurants and do things with foams and tweezers and micro herbs Fucking microherbs. What the fuck is a microherb? Oh, don't talk to me about it. I won't, okay. It's a, I, I literally won't. It's a wanky fine dining garnish. <laughs> All right. Microherb. <laughs> oh, God, you don't have to Google microherbs. I'm just going to give myself it. a really eclectic evening, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's just the way... Um, and like I said, Kitchen World is moving past it. I mean, I'm a sous chef. I get to make very good food. You do. I've seen it. I've eaten it. It's very nice. Thank you. It is quite nice. You're very welcome. Um... 
but the yeah the way Treetal talks about it I have dealt with male chefs who think like that and yeah. not just the big loud public famous ones like I have worked with so many people in the industry who think like that yeah so in one sense well done Terry Pratchett that is very very good writing well done Terry Pratchett good at the writing because obviously I'm just saying what I've experienced in the kitchen industry I can't imagine it's not like that in thousands of other industries where something women do at home regularly mm-hmm. that is a lot of work is very much taken for granted yeah while the male equivalent involves doing it very professionally and flashily childbirth and women are considered bad at it mm-hmm. oh yeah like midwife versus doctor yeah and, and until quite recently the and possibly even now not quite sure the kind of tendency of male uh obst- obstetricians to go straight for the knife <laughs> when a midwife would say no no yeah <laughs> let's try and yeah do this without cutting anything open. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that it tends to be men drinking their own Kool-Aid yeah. a bit about it and yeah. saying, no, no, of course we're right. Of course women are too emotional for this. Yeah. Too emotional is something that comes up a lot, which comes to what mm. you were talking about. Uh, oh, yeah. So um, what he was saying about childbirth in particular was what I found out while I was researching the kind of backlash against women in higher education, which is kind of the theme of the book um i'd originally put it to bring up near the end of this section because when arc chancellor cut angle suddenly turns from kind of being jocular about the idea of a a woman becoming a wizard what a thought and s keeps pressing the point and then suddenly he does he's hissing because they just don't, okay? Or wherever it is. I could probably find the actual fucking quote for that, couldn't I? Yeah, um, which I'm going to call out Terry Project saying, no, you can't, he hissed. There's no sibilance in that, you can't hiss it. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, no. so, but I can do wizard magic, magic said Esk. Cut angle bent down until his face was level with hers. No, you can't, because you are not a wizard. Women aren't wizards, do I make myself clear? And it's just that snapping moment from when you're being patronised to when they see that you might actually be a threat and they get angry about it because yeah. they can't defend it with logic. Um, but anyway, the, the the broader point I was making was that I was looking up the arguments that men used to make about why women shouldn't have higher education and obviously there are millennia and an entire globe to cover so I just had a look at modern era Cambridge (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I looked at a chapter in education and sex the medical case against higher education for women in England 1870 to 1900 published 1973 uh, by Joan I've forgotten her surname I'm very sorry but I will link it in the show notes um including fantastic quotes like uh, the bone structure of their heads was less mature. That's one of the reasons we couldn't do it. But most of it, unsurprisingly, did centre around those troublesome wombs. Um, So basically, medical practitioners would argue that although we could be the intellectual competitor, if not equal to a man, we could learn these things because evidence by this point had become fairly incontrovertible to the fact that women, yes, could learn mathematics and science and things. Yeah. Uh, if we did do that, unfortunately, we would be destroying our femininity, uh, not only in this kind of metaphorical sense, but we would make ourselves sterile by what? learning. Yes, because if we overexerted ourselves during, especially during puberty, which is the very um, formative, uh, form- time. formative time, uh, puberty being a bit later in general here, so they were talking about more 15 yeah. years old to 12 years old because that's a whole thing that's happened um 
then we could accept, yeah, we could break down mentally and uh, make would- our period stop and end up sterile. Um, and because women had to learn in different ways, apparently, we, we uh, as, as we know, Joanna, can't learn anything while we're on our periods or, or we get far too stressed. Yes, that is. <laughs> we will need to rest during the uh, during the time of menstruation. I mean, I'm not going to lie, if someone wants to give me a week off a month, they'll take it. Yeah, but I, unfortunately, this is a slippery slope towards quotes such as, since women could not take part in organised games necessary for men to counterbalance their mental exertion, any women undertaking higher education would be in danger of breaking down mentally. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I knew things were bad. Like, I... I aware that there were very stupid attitudes towards women learning. Yeah, and so you've just got this kind of thing that just kind of sounds almost funny looking back at it. Yeah. And then you come to things like uh, 20th October 1921, mm-hmm. where there was a vote at Cambridge about whether women would be allowed um, degrees, like proper degrees, but not membership of the Senate still, uh, or women being allowed titular degrees, which is basically the certificate but no accompanying rights. Right. Um, and while this actually fell on the favour of misogyny and, and um, the vote came down on a honorary degree, basically, Yeah. Um, the protests that had been there against women being awarded degrees turned into riots. Um, this is in, you know, 1921, so 20th century... Um, fourteen hundred or so men charged Newnham College, which is uh, the closest of the two women's colleges, and um, the other being Girton, which was out of town. Yeah, smashed down gates, caused hundreds of pounds in damages around right. the building. Um, but- thankfully, proctors <clears throat> managed to block the doorways and prevent them actually getting to the female students. But I think we can fucking imagine. Yeah, well, that would have gone down like, and yeah, these but these women, women are too were, emotional. Yeah, yeah, women are too emotional because anger isn't an emotion, Joanna. There's obviously a healthy masculine way of dealing with things like women being allowed an education. Yeah, how yeah, dare they? That's, no, that's, that's logical. That's... This is a logical response. Yeah, um, and yeah, they were under siege for ninety minutes. Wow. And while there was a generally negative response from the public, thank God, because we had moved on somewhat by this time. Um, somewhat. Somewhat. The fucking entitleness, entitlement of the students kind of talking back against this um, uh, dec- decrying of their horrible, horrible behaviour. Yeah. It's just infuriating. I'll send you some stuff for when you feel like being angered. Um, <laughs> just to basically paint themselves as the wounded parties and they had no choice but to do this kind Smash of thing. Smash windows and break down doors. Yeah. And- God. And yeah, it's just, it's like, oh, this is so funny, you know, women's brains overheating and that. And then you look at it, it's like, oh, this translated into real, as, as it always does, these stupid attitudes translated into violence against women. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all of these, att- I mean, all of these attitudes are the basis of violence against women. Like, mm-hmm. there is a background of violence in wanting to keep women uneducated mm-hmm. and chained to yeah. hearth and home. And it goes back to what we were talking about with the contraception and the freedom that allowed. Yeah. Meant that women could leave the house and do things other than giving yeah. birth yep and uh, obviously um although i'm focusing on the feminist side of it this all ties in with uh classes stuff as well because i mean uh, anyone but the elite weren't getting educations either at this point oh, higher yeah. educations and and again the contraception allowed a lot more class movement yeah um and yeah just it all ties in together and fuck these rich white dudes in 21 uh which is nearly 100 years ago now 
Oh, things that you've done yeah. so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is that but, if you'd... Yeah, what a fucking... Yeah, that was just a really depressing turn my kind of ha-ha-ha research took when I, re- when I was brought back to reality realising what this meant for women. Uh, yeah, it is very funny that men thought women's brains would overheat if we tried to learn things, but at the same time, that did translate to huge restrictions. Mm-hmm. Of course, everything's fine now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, should I get, well, should I talk about something happier or funnier then? Uh, yes. Cool. Uh, so we get a, we only get one footnote this book, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but it makes me happy. They talk about the, the uh, Thieves Guild. Mm-hmm. The Guild of Thieves, Cut Purses, Housebreakers and Allied Trades. Mm. We talked way back in Colour of Magic about the guild system and that they slowly start introducing it. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it, we get a full explanation here and I'm going to read out the half a page footnote. Please do. <laughs> a very respectable body which in fact represented the major law enforcement in the city. The reason for this is as follows. The guild was given an annual quota which represented a socially acceptable level of theft, smuggings and assassinations. And in return, the sorter would in very definite and final ways that unofficial crime was not only rapidly stamped out but knifed, garroted, dismembered and left around the city in an assortment of paper bags as well. Um... And yeah, I quite like it. It's very entertaining that this is the basis of the guild system that yeah develops and grows, and we get a we get an assassins guild and an alchemist guild, and we get a uh, seamstresses guild, which yeah, uh, Mrs. Palm runs yeah. effectively. Yeah, and it's to practice basically as he does throughout the disc world, making quite a point of so uh, organized crime. Not that different from uh, the establishment, is it? No, uh, <laughs> just make saying. It a- <laughs> But it's one of those things that's almost one of his throwaway thought experiments here. Yeah. And you tell where the zoons were like a throwaway thought experiment and it was fun. Yeah. And then he moved on with the book. With this, it's a throwaway sort of ex- thought experiment that you can see stuck. Yeah. And you can see Lodged where... Lodged in his brain and evolved. <laughs> yeah. And you can see where it goes. And as we get into the books, we get into more and more of the history of the guilds and how they're founded and how they work. And I just find it all really fascinating. Mm. So I love an ecosystem and I love a ridiculous ecosystem. Mm. Um... Oh, fuck. Sorry, circling back super quick. Um, something I wrote down about the women in higher education thing. In Cambridge at the moment, uh, until March 2020, there is an exhibition called The Rising Tide, which is about women coming into higher education. Do you want to go? Oh, yes, okay, definitely. Cool. Okay. But yeah, talking about that, actually, when we're talking about her dealing with the uh, with the wizards in the library before we get to this moment where he's awful and patronising to her and this mm-hmm. whole moment of but you, you can't be a wizard, you can't. When yeah. Esk arrives, she has this moment of standing in this huge group of wizards in the university. And I, I quite like the initial mental image because it feels very Hogwarts. Mm. Um, but the whole sort of... Pa- obviously, at Hogwarts, parents don't drop their kids off. Yeah. It's like at the station. But the idea of all these young students sort of milling around yeah. and the older professors coming in and clapping people on shoulders. And it feels very... I like, neither of us went to a boarding school. We're not that sort of posh. No. But I really wanted to because I read a lot of Enid Blyton yeah, books. Same. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to go to Mallory Towers. Yeah. And the way they talk about parents dropping children off and yeah. everyone around. But also this boys' club... In reality, club. I would have cried and cried and cried. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but this very boys' club feel. Yeah. I imagine this is what Eton is like. Well, we're grooming the next generation of tourists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's been to a thing, let us know. But I also like it because Esk starts wondering what a collective noun for a group of wizards is. Oh, yes. Did you come up with any? No. Well, 
I like the ones that this suggests, an order, a conspiracy, a circle. But I was I was going to research it, and then I remembered the conversation we had a couple of weeks about how collective nouns aren't real. Yeah, but that's fun. Okay. So what, <laughs> what did you come up with? Well, I thought that um, because, um, an argument of witches is one that's uh, talked about later on, I think, yes. in Weird Sisters. Um, so I thought maybe a squabble of wizards might be quite nice yes. as a kind of parallel. Uh, I also quite liked an inflation of wizards. Mm. Um, and an intransigence. Intransigence? Yeah, it's like when someone's really stubbornly set in their opinion and oh, won't, yeah. won't come to an agreement or won't, whatever. Oh, I like yeah, that. An intransigence of wizards. I like the thought of a tobacco pouch of wizards. Yes. <laughs> they are all constantly smoking rollies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or pipes. Um, I do like a squabble. I like just yeah. the thought of squabble as a... Yeah. Having got really annoyed at wizards for this entire book, I'm going with a wank of wizards. <laughs> but I like the later wizards. <laughs> but I will end up liking some wizards later on. Yeah. Um, a self, a, I'm trying to think of a good word for self-importance. A puff of wizards. Yeah. <laughs> a puff of wizards. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at with inflation. Puff is yeah. better. Yeah. Let's go with a puff of wizards then. That's our current collective noun. Cool. Alright. I don't think I have anything else I want to rant about. Cool, because we super duper need to wrap it up. Um, Do you have an obscure reference for me? I do. I'm calling it Obscure Reference Ridge because it's about mountains. Uh, On the way to Ankh-Morpork, they go through the Paps of Scylla, uh, which piqued my interest. Ha! Piqued! And I looked into, it turns out, as one might expect, Paps does mean breasts. Um, and is often used uh, for mountains in Scotland and Ireland in particular. Oh, right. Um, E.g. the Paps of Anu. Right. Um, and I found this out through a very pleasing Wikipedia page called Breast-Shaped Hills. Marvellous. Yes. So, um, wait, there's a Wikipedia page that's just breast-shaped hills? There is, yes. Excellent. Uh, I will link it for you. So, Paps literally means breasts, and lots of things are called the Paps of. Yes. Because of boobs which you know adds another there were eight of them in this range and uh the guy who was navigating briefly wondered who Scylla was and whether he would have liked her ah okay i i that completely went over my head so thank you for looking that up <laughs> i've got it right for once i'm the one finding the dirty references yay it's <laughs> not just me uh, so next week is the final part of our discussion of equal rights mm. so we'll be going from uh Page one nine six in the Corgi paperback, mm-hmm. which opens with "Pray have another, pray have another cup of tea, Mrs. Weatherwax." Said Mrs. <laughs> Don't take me a second to get my uh, marbles in my mouth. <laughs> Until next time, uh, follow us on Twitter at Make Ye Fret Pod. You can mm-hmm. find us on Facebook, The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret. You can email us, The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret Pod at gmail dot com. And uh, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, because it helps other people find us. Mm-hmm. And until next time. Don't let us detain you. Outro music. What's our music again? I have no idea you found it. All right, cool.